killer track. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast that takes a look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood artists. Each month we're going to be using Rotten Tomatoes to determine the best and the worst film in one individual filmography. Listen along and try to figure out what went right and what went wrong. My name is Wes Teasdale. I'm joined as always by Clay McCormick. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, I have to say, uh, the graphics in these games are so good. I mean, I never thought a Grand Theft Auto game would look this realistic. But yeah, they're putting out new it, mods every day, right? There's, this, there's those yeah. kids who redesigned the graphics. This is the latest one. They called it the babydriver.exe mod, and this is what it I is. I have to say, I'm a big fan of the John Hamm skin that you can put onto your character. Yes. <laughs> they call it a sufficiently grizzled uh, Don Draper, I think, is the other, yeah. <laughs> the other name for it. But Don Draper has fallen on hard times. We're back. It's been a long time. We have uh, we had a, a baby, maybe, maybe not me and you together, but one of us had a baby. Uh, we've been busy otherwise. We've been trying to catch up on the Star Trek podcast. And if I may speak frankly, Clay, I was a little mm-hmm. a, a little uh, hesitant that I the upcoming movies that we have to watch, all three of them, really, I am not particularly crazy about. We're talking about Edgar mm-hmm. Wright, and we're doing Baby Driver today. Um, Looking at his filmography, not even the B-roll can really save me. There's no B-roll that I'm like, oh boy, it'll be exciting to do that one. Really, you didn't? You don't like any of the uh, Simon Pegg movies? Uh, they're o- they're o- they're okay. They, I yeah, I'm gonna. I think the, my criticism of Baby Driver is going to extend across all of them. Um, so that's it. We're going to be talking about Edgar Wright. We're going to be talking about Baby Driver in this episode, the 2017 movie that is at 93% on the tomato meter. It's at 86% on the audience score. The critics, uh, critic consensus is stylish, exciting, and fueled by a killer soundtrack. Baby Driver hits the road and it's gone, proving fast-paced action movies can be smartly written without sacrificing thrills. Um, so let's talk about Baby Driver, which is Edgar Wright's highest-rated movie. Which I'm fairly surprised about actually i i mean i you know i don't know i i'm a little bit i'm surprised that this is has a higher critic score than any of the the simon Pegg movies because i personally don't think it's as good as those movies mm-hmm. uh and i think simon Pegg is his secret weapon when it comes to writing because i feel like this movie was lacking some uh, it was lacking some of the uh the 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 narrative and dramatic uh um not intelligence but like wit that those movies have yeah those movies are all are te- are very over the top and silly but underneath the silliness they are very well written movies um and this one is fine i guess yeah. i i you know <laughs> to to go into it just to jump into it i I saw this in the theater and I didn't really like it that much. Um, I, watching it again, I liked it a little bit more, but I still kind of came away with the same feeling, which is like, if this movie was made in 1999, this probably would have been mine and many other college freshmen's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And, and this would have been this would have been Snatch for the for the year that it came out. If it came out in like 1999, this would have been the movie that when you get to college, everybody's got this movie on DVD. Everybody's got this poster on their wall everybody's got the soundtrack everybody asks you if you've seen it or if you've heard the soundtrack and if you haven't they make you watch it it's it would be one of those movies and i say that because it feels like a <clears throat> excuse me it feels very much to me like a late 90s this is going to sound super douchey to say it sounds like a late 90s post tarantino indie movie mm-hmm. and it's not an indie movie because it's it's clearly a you know Hollywood produced, you know, fairly large budget movie with stars in it, but it feels like all of those, you know, mid to late nineties, everybody's seen Pulp Fiction. So, or Reservoir Dogs. So they kind of feel like they can do it and put their own little spin on it. Uh, really likes music. So he's going to put all of his favorite music in it. And it's, you know, it's, it's just got that kind of feel to it. It's like one of the better of those. It's not Boondock Saints, you know, Yeah. it's, it's, but it's, that's the feeling that I have watching this movie. I get a, um, I get a big. Was it called Drive? The Ryan Gosling movie. Yes. I get yeah. a. I get it's a poor man's drive kind of where it's. I wouldn't say poor man's drive. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off because I was thinking the same thing. I wouldn't say poor man's drive. I would say drive, but nicer. Sure. Well, here, here's why I say it's a poor man's drive. I think you have two options when you make a movie like this. 
you can buy into the gimmick and go whole hog. The gimmick here is the sort of music backdrop that's going on. Um, yep. it's, this is basically an hour and hour and 15, 50 minute music video, uh, for all intents yes, and purposes. Very much so. It is, it is a amalgam of all these different songs. It's got a great soundtrack. The main character listens to an iPad. Uh, it's been so long since I have to say the word iPod. <laughs> it's been, um, he listens to an iPod all the time and his, the backdrop of the action and the editing of the movie is set to the music that he's listening to. So right. it's very, um, action-packed and quick cuts and a lot of sort of uh, typical traditional music video type stuff gone into a full feature-length movie. And the thing is, if you if you want to do a gimmick movie like that, the other movie I was thinking about besides Drive that this reminds me of, have you ever seen um, Shoot 'em Up with Clive Owen? No, that I can see that falling in the same category as what I'm talking about, though, because that was one when it came out at the time I was really really excited to see it because at the time my theory my feelings were clive owen plus a gun meant in in an enjoyable movie Mm -hmm. uh and then i think i in that window in which it came out and left theaters i think i kind of ended up growing out of that phase yeah yeah so it was just one where i was super excited to see when i heard about it It was like oh this is gonna be great and then by the time it came out i was like "Eh, i'm kind of over this stuff well the shoot 'em up was i was i loved shoot 'em up the first time i saw it and then on replay, I have not been as much impressed by it. But the the backdrop of Shoot 'Em Up is that it's um it's a very cartoony uh, action movie where it's done in real live action. But it's the fight scenes are like the main draw of it, and they're very cartoony, like they're super over the top. And in between those scenes are horrible narrative scenes that are like trying to connect <laughs> the fight scenes to each other. And yeah. it's really. You know, they're they're obviously the only focus of the filmmakers was to make those action scenes. So they don't really care about the in-between scenes. Unfortunately, the in-between scenes are the stuff that really hold your interest in a movie, um, even as Mm -hmm. much as you like the fight scenes and stuff like that. So they can't be an abomination, which I think shoot-em-ups were. Baby Driver isn't that bad. But at the same time, the gimmick doesn't propel me for the hour and 50 minutes that I'm watching it. Like, I get a little bit tired of it, and the story is not great shakes to me. So... The drive analogy to wrap this up and send it back to you is that drive was pure style. Like the the drive movie right, was basically right. this is the aesthetic of this movie and it's super eighties and like look at look at this and it's all uh, neon day glow and fast cars and shiny. And Baby Driver sort of straddles the middle. It tries to have a story, but the story's not interesting. But its gimmick of style isn't over the top enough where it really feels like that's the point of the scenes you're watching. It's more like the style of the movie is just kind of a neat little thing that they're hinting at, and you have to pay attention to it if you want to fully appreciate it, but it's not overwhelming or hitting you over the head with it in the way that Drive and Shoot 'em Up were. So it's in this middle ground, and I, I, I end up walking away from the movie feeling unsatisfied because it's in the middle ground. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the the biggest problem is is the non-action stuff because the action stuff is great. It's it's really well done. Car, and car I never chases are great, it, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm a sucker for I love car violence. I don't know why. It's just one of my favorite things in movies is when it's non CGI and it's just people just smashing cars. I really enjoy it. Um, and I also never thought I would see a movie that uses the entirety of Hocus Pocus by Focus over the over an action scene because uh, that's not a short song and it's a weird song. So I'm happy to see that. Um, but yeah, the the non action stuff. I feel is definitely lacking. And I think that's where the lack of Simon Pegg comes in because there's, there's, there's so many little tricks and gimmicks in that stuff as well that I just don't think work. It's, it doesn't have the heart of, as some of his other movies with Simon Pegg do. And I think that heart comes from Simon Pegg. Yeah. Um, like the stuff in this, the, the, the relationship with him and the girl is, fine but it's also a little unbelievable um and you know the stuff with him and and his foster dad is nice but it's still there's there's gimmicks in there too uh to get you like shorthand to get you kind of engaged with what's going on there uh there's there's all sorts of like little bits like that that aren't pure uh engaging story and character bits they're just sort of like add-ons to make you make what's happening still seem interesting i feel there's a lot of um there's a lot of puns about the music 
going on. Like they call him a wheel man all the time because, and he uses an iPad, like an, or an old iPod. Sorry, I keep calling it an iPad, but <laughs> like the, the wheel is the big invention of the iPod. So the, them calling mm-hmm. him wheel man is kind of, you know, a little, little bit of a pun. They have songs like killer track where he's like killer track as they're trying to kill other, each other. Um, right, right. You know, it's a, it's a lot of stuff like that. There's more, I didn't write them all down, but they have a lot of lines of dialogue that are sort of calling attention to the gimmick of the movie. Like it's all about the music. Everything here is about the music. And well, I, I don't know if you noticed it, but in that opening, uh, like one shot se- sequence when he's like dancing through the street, the, uh, when he's getting the, going to get the coffee, um, lyrics from the song he's listening to are like written on the walls as he's like dancing by. Them. Oh, okay. I didn't notice. So that. there's yeah. like, yeah. So there'll be moments, there'll be moments where it says like, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the song and he'll like dance by that's like been like spray painted on the side of a wall. Or like when it gets to the horn sequence, he stops in front of a music store that has a bunch of horns in the back. And all that stuff is fine. I mean, that stuff is great. But I mean, again, like I feel like that kind of thing feels like something that you would see in a TV commercial now. Right. It's not yeah. super – what's the word? It's not super groundbreaking. And I don't know if I'm trying – if it's unfair to talk about it this way because, you know, it's not – claiming to be anything groundbreaking or whatever. But I think it's just, for me, Edgar Wright is, you has been a fairly innovative movie maker up to this point. And I just kind of feel like this is more of the same thing he usually does, if not a little bit less interesting than what he usually does. It, it seems like the previous movies, he holds some of this stuff back or some of like his just pure, uh, you know, um, gimmicky, Popness, he holds it back a little bit. In this one, he's free to do whatever he wants. So it just it it is like I just put this soundtrack together, and I'm gonna make a movie for this soundtrack, so I can make you listen to the soundtrack. Which it's not bad music, like it's all great music, but it feels like that. It feels like someone who's just. It feels like the music is first and foremost. Yes, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, you got me wondering. There is a. The movie also kind of reminds me of something like prog rock, I guess, in a sense, where uh-huh. there's this artistic thing where if you are super technical and doing a lot of stuff, uh, the general audience won't notice it, but like connoisseurs of it will notice it and they'll sort of appreciate it for how much work. Like this movie obviously took a tremendous amount of work to do all this oh, stuff, yeah. like to do the edits. Yeah. The edit must've been a hellscape of like horrible, like you have to, ti- you have to, you know, punch out the BPM. They have to time the cuts to everything. They're like trying to follow the music. They've got so much going on that they have to cut between scenes and do the direction. Couldn't have been easy. It's a lot of hard work that maybe the sort of general audience member, myself included, doesn't really appreciate it fully. And I'll say it's like prog rockets because, you know, prog rock will be playing, you know, some bizarre 17 out of 19 measure music, you know, that's alternating like time signatures every other measure or something. And the general right. audience member will just go like, I don't really like that song. You know what I mean? But the person, <laughs> yes. the person yes. who's into it be like, you have to understand how complicated this was, like the technical accomplishment of what they've done. And I think that's a little bit of Baby Driver's problem for me. I, I can appreciate what they've done, but it doesn't, the movie doesn't hit me because of it. It's not, it's not tied into like the the narrative of the story in a way that I find this movie memorable or that I would want to go back and watch it again. Yeah. I, you know, prog rock is actually a really good analogy. And to further that analogy, I would say this movie, like Edgar Wright is kind of like rush a little bit in that this movie feels like, uh, you know, the title track of 2112 or one of their more sprawling, like you're saying, uh, um, uh, overly epic, prog rock uh um masterpieces but the ones that are generally more interesting are the ones that like you know your limelights or your tom sawyers where you've where it's a great song and it's got just enough of that prog rock stuff in it to keep it interesting so you it's like a little bit different it's working in the same kind of uh music that you like but then it works it's got a little bit of that extra stuff to keep it interesting and i feel like this movie feels like a, a 90 or two hour Neil Peart drum solo. Right. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> whereas, uh, you know, his other ones with, si- with Simon Pegg feel like more like, you know, a composition. It's, yeah, a composition that's got a great song. And then every now and then he throws in a little bit of that prog stuff just to, just to keep it a little interesting. You know, it's, it, he uses it more sparingly, whereas this movie is just like all of it all the time. Yeah. 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 I, I think I'd, 
I think I'd agree with that. So I, I think we're both kind of on the same page of like, we we like the movie as a technical accomplishment. It's kind of a neat idea. It feels, to me, you were saying it feels like a commercial. To me, that's maybe the problem with the gimmick is that it just reminds me of a music video. And I, I've seen yeah, music yeah. videos done before. So there's nothing besides the incredible amount of work that it took to go into this and the fact that, you know, they, they're doing all these edits and the idea was spawned basically just the idea was spawned like two decades ago from Edgar Wright saying, I want to make a music video. <laughs> and they carried it on 20 years later and did this. But is that true? Well, he, the, the opening scene where they're, um, there, it's a bank robbery over easy. I think the, the thing I was reading that was that he had a, uh, sort of an idea of, he wanted to do a, a scene of a bank robbery over the Commodore's easy song. And, oh, and that's okay. what this uh, sort of the opening of this movie is at that point. And then he had to flesh it out into a whole uh, movie. But his original idea is basically, I want to do a music video. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing crazy with that uh, sort of original concept. Um, I'll, I'll go into now what I think the biggest problem with this movie is that I would objectively say is not good is mm-hmm. Ansel Elgort, the main actor who plays baby. Um, <laughs> I think he's terrible, and I think the casting is horrible for this. So he, he is—he's very young, but his scenes either feel to me like he's a teenager playing a hard pouty kid, which annoys me, yeah. or he is trying to be a cool, seductive guy, which annoys me. And mm-hmm. nothing he ever does in this movie doesn't annoy me on some level. Like it's not even like he's a bad actor. <laughs> I feel—I feel some sort of visceral dislike towards him (laughs) and i don't know what that is and i was trying to think of a replacement actor i'd want and i can't really think of anyone who's his age and appropriate but i was thinking you need kind of someone more like a um like a peak um i don't know i'll 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 throw it over to you i'm gonna try to think about who i'd want but i'd want someone that's a little bit more ryan gosling (laughs) ryan gosling would actually be a good call actually yeah so well, I mean, if you cast him as the main character, change the the music a little bit, and maybe got a different director, you might have a movie. Right. <laughs> oh, wait. That's that's called Drive. Never mind. <laughs> and someone gets shot um, in an elevator, yeah, and then you got a movie. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. It's, uh, uh, he, there's, there's stuff about him that is meant to, it's, you know, playing on that gimmick of always listening to music and, but it does come off as really, really annoying. Um, the, Scene where uh, Kevin Spacey is is explaining the 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 heist, and you you don't hear it because you just hear the music that he's listening to, and he's like keyboarding the the piano notes on the table. Mm-hmm. And if I was Jamie Fox, as he does, I think it's Jamie Fox in that scene, I would have been like, "Hey, could you fucking stop, please? <laughs> right. I don't care if you're listening. I'm trying to listen, and you're tapping on the table, and it's driving me fucking crazy." Yeah. Start in the AM. Questions. I got a question, Doc. Why would I believe phones over here heard a goddamn word you said? You lay down your whole play. He ain't even listening. Baby. The target is an armored truck at Perimeter Trust in Dunwoody, 10 a.m. sharp. We have the details of the route because someone at the depot has a nasal problem. The bank itself is right near the Buford Highway, so we should be able to hit the ramp within 60 seconds of getting out. We also have a diversion crew. They're going to blow up a bread truck a ways away, keep the fuzz busy. The dress code is the Michael Myers Halloween mask, but don't all buy your mask at the same time. It looks suspicious. The switch car is ready, but you want me to hit the long state parking structure at Hartsfield Jackson to get a heist vehicle that stays colder longer, boost a commuter car, a family car, something that blends in well with morning traffic. Something on the heavy side, in case we need to ram the cops off the road to Escalade, Yukon, Avalanche, whatever. It needs to be ready for an 8.30 start in the a.m. Questions? Well, ain't y'all cute? That's my baby. Fuck your baby. Like, I kind of understand. He's obviously a bad guy, bad guy, but I kind of understand the animosity he has towards him. Yeah, yeah. It's a life or death uh, situation of going to jail for a very long time. And this kid is, he's obviously knows what he's doing, but there's no indication that he is either listening or uh, has any sort of regard for what's actually happening in their plotting of these heists. And I, you know, I think that kind of plays into... He's, I'm not totally sure why he's so good at retaining knowledge like that. Like there's, there's little, there's little, uh, tags, I think that they throw onto him, which I think is kind of, uh, 
sort of what I'm talking about, uh, an example of what I'm talking about when it feels like they're just giving little character quirks in replace of actual character. Um, but like on top of the eardrum thing and the music thing, he's also uh, really good at knowledge retention to the point where he doesn't have to listen to anything. Mm-hmm. And he can, you know, just spout it back. He also is like kind of on the spectrum, I guess, because he, a lot of the dialogue that he says he got from stuff he saw on TV. Yeah. Uh, which I sure, I mean, I'm not sure what that is supposed to add to it, um, but it's like stuff like that where it's, it seems like keeps adding these quirks to him that doesn't really make a character so much. Yeah. Um, as just, it seems like placeholders for that. Yeah. He is, um, he, he seems like he's just supposed to be like the sort of cool guy, detached, mysterious. No one really knows what he's all about, but he's also got a good yeah. heart uh, thing. It's a very cliche setup. And I just. That, yeah. And sorry about uh, uh, another example of how they're just like tacking things on. It's like all of these things with his foster father are kind of interesting. And like the stuff for uh, what is it? He records the stuff and makes those like remixes and stuff. Yeah, his, his mixtape collection. <laughs> yeah, all of that stuff is is kind of like novel and quirky, but underneath that is literally a scene where he says one more job and I'm out, which is yep. the most cliche thing you could possibly do in one of these movies. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he's um he he, he is just he is just quirky for sort of quirky's sake. And he, I find the performance just to be just a little bit I find myself feeling that it's not all a performance and I find myself not liking the actor all that much. Like he, yeah. he has a mm-hmm. sort of douchiness around him that I feel is not really <laughs> an act that's going on. I feel like it's part of that uh, actor's sort of personality. And it, it's most highlighted in the the scenes with uh, his girlfriend. Is her name? Re- it's not Rebecca. What's her name? Deborah. 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 The scenes with Deborah are not very good. And I don't think they have to be to get the point across because I don't really care about their relationship because I don't really care about anything that goes on in the narrative outside of the fact that it's all kind of happening. I like John Hamm. That's about it. I like Jamie Foxx too. But the yeah. the rest of it doesn't really doesn't really do anything for me. Um, it's just kind of on its way to this, on its way to that. And then at the very end, they're going to be together uh, happily ever after and stuff like that. Yeah, I think she's really good. I think she does puts in a pretty good performance given the minimal amount of stuff that she has to do. But even there too, you know, it's like, I don't know, is, is he supposed to be sort of like on the spectrum and antisocial? But then when he meets her, he's like a total slick dude. Yeah. And he has no problem. Maybe he has a little bit of a problem talking to her in the first scene, but like he takes her to a really nice expensive restaurant with no incident on his end, other than the fact that Kevin Spacey shows up and ruins it sort of, (laughs) you know, like there's no, there's no like tension to their relationship. And maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe you need something like that to alleviate the tension that's going on with the rest of his life. But there's just like, there's no, even, even let's put it this way. The scenes with them in it, generally they're not even talking to each other that much. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of like, they are there and shot as though they are this like star-crossed lovers or whatever, but they're not even really, you're not even really seeing their relationship develop or anything. Yeah. Yeah. It just sort of goes from zero to 60. To me is, um, I know it has to happen, but it doesn't feel earned to me that she would run off with him by the end of it. You know, they, they don't really have enough scenes like that where you've sensed some kind of connection and it's not really the point of the movie to do that but at the same time it feels just artificial or sort of like you have to have these scenes where he needs a sort of motivation to leave and he needs to have this other character who's going to drive him to leave this driving game and all that stuff um is i also this is unfair for the movie because this is like the whole concept of the movie but i really hate scenes where characters like their whole connection is they bond over music yeah i don't it i just i i hate that stuff because it feels like the director or whoever's making the movie specifically trying to tell you about a band they like, Mm -hmm. which is really fucking annoying to me. Kind of the whole point of this movie. Yeah. As you said, I know, which is, which is, I think part of what rubs me the wrong way about it is like, that's how the whole thing feels. And like, I, I feel like if you look at other movies that do this kind of stuff, I don't feel that way about Martin Scorsese movies. I didn't feel that way about drive. 
You know, I think there are ways to do it that feel more natural and not just like, here's 12 songs I really like and I think other people should listen to. Um, and I mean, if you ever, you ever, have you ever seen the, the web series Yacht Rock? No, I don't think so. From, oh man. If so, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fictionalized history of, uh, smooth music from the 1970s in California. Yeah. (laughs) And it features, uh, the main characters are like Steely Dan and Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald and all this kind of stuff. And the guys who created it are unabashed and saying like, the reason that we created this is because we wanted to bring this music back to the forefront. We wanted to bring attention to it because it's really great. Yeah. It's music that people shit on. But the way they present it is such a like innovative and kind of loving presentation of it that you don't feel like it's people just shoving music down your throat. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one just feels like he had like a, a playlist that he wanted to, you know, make a movie to. I, I, on one hand agree, I think that the, I think that the construct of the film is clever enough where I'm a little bit more forgiving. Like, I really do like the fact that the music he's listening to through his iPod is tying into the scenes and the way that the audio editing is done is like phasing you in and out of what he's listening to. Yes. Um, like the. And, and I like little beats, like uh, with the, one of my favorite songs that they have in it is the, the uh, Neat, Neat, Neat by the Damned, which they play during their mm-hmm. sort of Michael Myers uh, mask <laughs> armed robbery. Um, yep. I like the fact that- Which is he, a great joke. I like the fact that they he restarts the song as things are going. Yes. Like I, I like stuff like that, and I like the way that the music is tied into it. So it doesn't feel to me like it's a bad version of a Scorsese movie, which is we have a unrelated drama going on and I'm going to put my favorite music on top of it. It is, it's more constructed into the, the narrative and like the whole thing is sewn into it in a way, but still it does feel, it does feel to me almost, and I have a hard time saying this is a criticism because it feels like someone shuffling an iPod, but it feels like the music changes so quickly that you can never really get into a song, you know, like he's blasting through all these songs, which mimics the iPod. But at the same time, I find it unsatisfying to watch as a film. Yeah, I I, I don't like that. Um, and that's not uh, a criticism specifically of this movie, but I, I hate it when other movies do this too, where it's like they will pick a song that's very specifically they want to use for the scene, but then they don't commit to it. And then like the, the second that they cut, they just end the song. It's like, what? you gave us like 15 seconds of uh, sympathy for the devil. You just, were you just using that to be clever there? Like what? You're not committing to this song choice at all. After paying and all I, that money I, for I that find, song too. It's a lot of money. To I know. Get yeah. But you are not, not specifically that song, but you know, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. That just, you're picking this song that clearly you really like that you want to use in the scene. And then you just cut it super fast. And I don't understand why people do that. Like if you're going to use it, commit to it anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think the stuff that they do, I think the gimmick is actually really interesting. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I think what would have been really nice is if there was a scene where the lack of music somehow, uh, inhibited him somehow, mm-hmm. like the, the closest you get is cause they, they do, they, they play it up as this like OCD kind of thing where like, oh, he's got to play the song over if we're going to, you know, so he can time it right or whatever. And then when he steals that woman's car later on, he can't drive away until he finds a song on the radio that's good to drive to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which also, <laughs> it, which also very accurately points out if you search the dial long enough, you will find "Radar Love" by Golden Earring because it's always on the radio. <laughs> that the, um, the searching the dial felt the closest to me to shoot him up. That that felt like a very shoot him upy thing where you you can't uh, the hero can't accomplish something until his sort of um, vice is in place and he is uh, a whole at that point. Yeah, and so you know they they put that much emphasis on it, which obviously is the main gimmick of the movie. I, I'm surprised that there's no scene in which he can't actively do that, and it somehow inhibits him in his what he has to do. They have the gunshots um, from John Hamm. That's the only- that doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, I know that, that's going to hurt anybody. I know. Obviously, I, I understand the that it's extra with him because his ears are already fucked up, and he loves music, et cetera, et cetera. But like, that's not specifically stopping him from listening to music to do something right you know yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah um i'm surprised they didn't do that. that that does feel sort of in line with what you'd expect uh his like his kryptonite moment to be which is his ipod yeah, exactly. gets taken away um yeah and i think it's that weird you know that's a that's a decision that maybe comes from a more stylized movie and that ties into my thing about i don't think it gets stylized enough 
at a certain point. There, there's mm. there's a point where they should really be buying into the music stuff, and they it kind of feels like they're right on the edge of doing it. And a scene like that, which you described, would have worked perfectly. They just never get to that point. They never they never manage to do anything like that. They're sort of content to make puns about it and sort of joke about the fact that they're aware that this is going on, but they aren't willing to insert it as a a real problem for the characters or a real sort of um, personal or personality quirk of anybody. Yeah. Unless, unless they would, that's what he was trying to go for in the scene where he's scoping out the post office, because he does seem really stiff and really awkward there. And I don't know if that's because he doesn't have his music or if it's because he's just doing something he's not used to. I feel like it was the latter, but it might be the other Mm -hmm. one. That, yeah, um, I don't. I don't I th- even I th- remember that he didn't have his iPods. I thought it was just he was awkward because he's used to being the driver and not used to scouting out the place. I think that was probably probably more of it than the other thing. I think what where it might have been a nice place to do it is when he when after they rob the post office when they come and get into the car and they're yelling at him to drive away. That might have been a nice place to put it because he's like frozen up, like maybe Jamie Fox like. Maybe he goes to put his earbuds in or something and Jamie Foxx like rips him out of his head and he's like, you got to go, you know, that kind of thing. So he's like all discombobulated. He doesn't know what to do. And that's the point where he makes the decision to, you know, drive forward and kill Jamie Foxx. There was a, I don't know. There was a, uh, I was watching this as I was catching, uh, capturing audio clips for the podcast. I was watching it again. It has x-ray on Amazon on the computer, um, which is like, it Mm -hmm. sort of shows you behind the scenes facts as you're watching the movie. Oh, right, right. And uh, the, I don't think they say this in the movie. The original idea was that you know why? Do you know why he has so many iPods? Um, is it because he's because uh, left in the cars that he steals? Yes. So his his iPods. Yeah, I think sp- I read that. I think I read that somewhere because they don't say that in the movie. Yeah. So his iPods are supposed to be from the people's cars that he's stolen, and mm-hmm. that that actually. I find that almost interest more interesting, and I was wondering, like, why didn't they do a relationship thing with him where he took that girl's iPod? Is that is that her iPod that she, he's playing with when they first meet? The pink one? No, I don't think so. Okay, so I mean, I, I felt there was I felt there was a way to work the music into the relationship angle, doing stuff like that, and that was actually more of a. I'm surprised they left that um, fact out of the script because it kind of says a lot about him. Like he's kind of an empty vessel. Like he doesn't have his right, own mixes right. that he listens to. This is all stuff that other people have made for him, which is, I thought was a neat kind of character beat. Yeah, which also adds to the, you know, kind of OCD nature of what he does. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they do play that up with you know him getting the the stuff that he says from the TV and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, that aspect was there, but yeah, I think that would have been interesting to dial up too. Um, and they they it also explains why he's using iPods, frankly. Right. Uh. Because he, um, Kevin Spacey mentions that he he found him when he was trying to boost his car, I think, right? Yep, that's why he owes a debt to Kevin Spacey, because he was trying to steal Spacey's car. Yeah, and he's been stealing cars since since he was really young, which would, you know, timeline-wise, put him right in the sweet spot of of the iPod. Yep. Um, So, yeah, I think that would have been a really interesting, and if you look at all the stuff he has at his house, all of his technology is really old. Uh, He's got... Uh, he records things on a cassette mixer. Yeah, and then runs um, them through. I think the TV. Yeah, yeah. He's got these old, we- like weird, like first generation digital uh, m- music machines. Left for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, he's got his TV is really fat and old. Like it's it's all the stuff in his house is fairly uh, fairly th- throwback. Um, so it makes sense that he uh, would just be listening to the music on these, these iPods, which is, it's funny. Cause I, I have, um, I have an iPod, an iPod mini that, uh, someone found on the ground and tried to get in touch with the person whose it was and they never responded. So they just gave it, I said, I'll take it. And they just gave it me. <laughs> and so I was going through it and I was listening. To, I was, I went through it and I, it was mostly shit that I didn't like, but there were a few things that I did like that I kept on there. And it was, and it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's kind of interesting getting a, an insight into someone else's tastes and actually finding stuff that you do enjoy. Mm-hmm. Common um, ground. Yeah, yeah. So I could see I could see him definitely just boosting these iPods and just listening to whatever's on them. Yeah, or I, I don't even know if they do it enough or make everyone in the movie 
into having iPods, you know, so that every character is kind of bounded <laughs> by music in some way. They don't really do that. The other characters just kind of listen to the music that he's listening to. And you you tell a lot from their character by the stuff that they like. Uh, John Hamm has a conversation with him about he went to go see The Dead or something, I want to say. Or there was some some band he had seen that he was sharing with uh, Baby a moment. Um well, he talks about um, they talk about Queen about how much he loved Queen. Queen that's a Queen, yeah. It was his it brother that, used yeah. to play it all the time. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's a scene. I like. I I don't like scenes like that where two people talk about a band and then they share headphones and then they just kind of like bob their heads along to <laughs> you know sheer heart attack or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I hate that stuff. It just feels really cheap. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it mean it makes sense in a movie like this because the music is such. A, and I mean they do it multiple times. He does it with the girl. Um. Also, I'm I'm I feel like they just skirted the line in terms of using songs with the word baby in them. Yeah. Because I was really expecting them to go over the top and they do get very close. Like I, one of my least favorite things about um American Werewolf in uh, I almost said Paris. American Werewolf in London is that the movie itself is fairly serious to a point, but there is a definite dark comedy aspect but they really undercut every single thing they do in that movie by playing every possible version of blue moon at every possible chance they can get and it's just like i get it i get it it's a werewolf movie it's a song about the moon Mm -hmm. i understand please let me enjoy this movie about werewolves without sticking your tongue into my cheek yep it's a, and I feel like this one was very close to that. It's a little bit, um, it's always sort of seen as a bad idea when you put a song that is too closely related to what's going on on the screen. And this movie's kind of the exception. The, the construct allows them to avoid that. And like, I, I actually found it kind of novel when the when the music matched up with what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But they found the one exception to how you get around that is to intentionally do it so that the music works out like that. And um, I can't, I can't remember any of the examples because there's so, there's like a million different songs on the soundtrack, but there are, there are a few where it's just, the, the lyrics are literally describing what he is up to at that point, be it escaping in the car or going fast or doing something like that. The, the lyrics just line up perfectly. Um, and I didn't mind yeah, and it. Then he, saves something. The, then he saves the biggest one for the end over the credits where they literally, literally play a song called baby driver. Yep which is about someone who grew up as an outlaw or something. Yeah. And it's like, all right, so clearly this is where the entire origin of the movie came from. So um, on an acting level, anyone stick out for you? Anyone sort of unimpressed? Uh, Ansel Elgort is my sort of unimpressive one, but is there anyone who stuck out for you as a uh, as a high uh, high reward casting here? Um, Flea? No. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah, the the main guy's kind of a wet blanket. Um, Who's the main? Are I you think, talking about uh, Baby? Yeah, okay, Baby. Yeah. I think everybody else does a pretty good job. I think they've. I think it's well cast in that they got people to do the thing that they do, and they do it really well. I mean, John Hamm does his John Hamm thing, but he just you know he wears the 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 downloadable player costume of grizzled grizzled old man. Yeah, or it doesn't something. shave grizzled, for a couple of days. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Jamie Foxx is doing his angry Jamie Foxx thing, which is really good. I call Kevin it, Spacey's I call it Denzel doing, in training days, which is what Jamie yeah. Foxx is doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's uh it's Tubbs for Miami Vice. If Tubbs was, was a bad guy. <laughs> Jamie Foxx was my standout. I thought Jamie Foxx was the, uh, the best actor uh, out of, Oh, everyone. he was great. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Spacey's basically doing his character from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Except but also an, a, an evil version of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think I think it's all. I think the girl was good. I think uh, John Hamm's wife was pretty good. I think it's well cast all around, except for the main guy, because the for a character who is, I guess by design, supposed to be like a a hollow, you know, whatever. I don't think he rises above that at all. Yeah, a cipher is that the um, word for that? I think he's supposed to be some something of a cipher. Although he's not really a cipher because the music is. If you could insert your own soundtrack into this movie. That would be a pretty cool idea. You like you could become uh, Ansel Elgort. <laughs> you could become Baby in this because you are getting exposed to his sort of um, tastes by what he's choosing to listen to at that very moment. So it's not kind of a plug and play yeah. experience. So like if you listen to it on the computer, you can actually upload your i to upload your Spotify playlist yeah. into the into the movie. They should have done and that. So that scene where that scene where he and John Hamm talk about music. He's like, "What are you listening to?" And he's like, "Listen to the song." I really like this song. I used to listen to this song 
all the time when I was younger, <laughs> John, or possibly not, depending on when the song came out. John Hamm is also like, I love anal cunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what, I, that's what I want from this movie, I think. Um, yeah. Kevin Spacey, tough to watch a Kevin, tough to see Kevin Spacey at this point. This is the last movie I think he did before his uh, great downfall. Um, it, well, it, my, the last movie that he wasn't digitally erased from. Anyway. Oh, sure. Right. It's a little tough to watch him, which is, you know, too bad. I, I did enjoy all the movies that Kevin Spacey had been in the nineties, but that is what it is. Um, obviously yeah. worse for his, his victims than Kevin Spacey, but he's particularly fat in this uh, point of film, <laughs> which is something that I thought was enjoyable. Flea is in it, as you said. Um, Flea is in it in a way that makes me think that Flea was available for two hours one day, and they never explain mm-hmm. where he goes, I don't think. What what happened to Flea? Is he just gone? I don't know. They just didn't hire him back. Mm. And Oh, John Bernthal. John Bernthal's there doing the thing that he does and everything, and he's good at that, yep. so he was pretty good. Yep, yep. And his Punisher halfway between Punisher and The Walking Dead. <laughs> and then... Um, there's the foster father who is played as Joseph. He's played by C.J. Jones. Um, yeah, he was good too. Surprisingly, didn't really, you know, they had a great connection for the fact that he is deaf. And, mm-hmm. you know, Baby's character is all about music. I, I felt that, I kept expecting some sort of bigger schism to come about because of that, but there wasn't really. And I was, I was a little surprised it didn't tie it into the theme of the movie. Yeah, I mean, the the... The thing, the th- again, that's another thing where I feel like it was just purely uh, trappings in place of character. Because if you take him out of the movie, nothing really changes. No, you know, I mean, they have they have a couple nice scenes together, but he's the person who has to tell him to leave that kind of lifestyle. That's his whole role. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the movie's not about their relationship. Like the one nice inversion is that you find out the money that he's saving is specific. I mean, I assume it was specifically so they could, he could put him in a home or something, mm-hmm. but maybe that's just a last minute decision. I don't know. Um, like the stuff they do with him is nice, but I don't think he's integral to the story or the plot at all. So, um, I think we'd kind of wrap this up with the action sequences. Uh, Mm-hmm. Very Scott Pilgrimy action sequences in my mind. Like they're very reminiscent. They're a they're slightly not car- quite that over the not, top. Not not that over the top, but they're cartoony. Um, it's you know baby jumping over cars and Kevin Spacey getting hit by a shotgun blast in the back and t- turning around and shooting the guy who shot him. Um, right, right. And you know Kevin Spacey getting hit by the car and it's it's a little bit. Um, I guess Edgar Wright just really likes that kind of action. I think is the way my main takeaway from it. It, it felt of the universe. Uh, just because of how sort of detached from reality it is, but it is just kind of, I just, there's nothing really else for me to say besides it seems to be an Edgar Wright uh, preference to have that kind of action in his movies. Yeah, I, I think so. It, it reminded me of, uh, it felt like Hot Fuzz, but oddly enough, it's less violent than Hot Fuzz. Like Hot Fuzz, that's, that movie always caught me off guard at how goofy it is, but also how gorishly violent yeah. that movie is. <laughs> Um, so the violence is dialed down a little bit, even though you still get bits of it, like, you know, Kevin Spacey getting run over by the car and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, oh, can't forget Paul Williams. Paul Williams is the, as the, uh, the butcher guy that I actually really liked that scene. I really liked the idea of that guy talking about the guns as like cuts of pork and stuff. Yes. I thought that was yep. pretty good. Yeah. Even though, even though it was all just a setup for that one line of him being like, I'm going to take the shoulder cause I love smoking pigs. <laughs> <laughs> But I did like that scene. That scene was pretty good. Um, I, I would have written a I forget Edgar Wright's thing of I want to make a music video. I would have written a movie just about that line, I think, and been like, I have to put this line into something. <laughs> it's too good. Well, I mean, I feel like that's kind of how that scene worked. I, I feel like I could see the construction of that where it's like, okay, this scene, they're going to pick up these guns and Jamie Foxx is going to figure out that they're cops and so he's going to shoot them. And like he worked backwards from there and he's like, well, cops, pigs. I'm like smoking pigs. Well, what if I, what if the guy is like, he's talking about like, he's a butcher and all the guns are like, so then, then, the, then the joke works, yeah, you know, yeah. um, I can say, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's, it's just interesting to be able to see it that clearly. Um, I think there are instances of that in the move in other instances in the movie that are, that are more subtle than that. Um, but that one is, is fun. Yeah. Uh, what were we talking about before that? Uh, the action of the, Oh, the action. Yeah, the action sequences. Yeah, I, I thought the action was really good. Like, the car stuff was great. Car scenes are great. Um, I love the car chases, yeah. 
Yeah, they're they're all really great. The ending is pretty good with uh, John Hamm and him fighting in the parking garage. That stuff is good. Uh, I like that the girl is not just along for the ride. She actually is, you know, has a little bit of agency in what's going on. And at no point does she turn into like, you know, John Hamm with his arm around her throat and a gun to her head kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I uh, the one, the one really strange character in this movie is the, uh, the guy whose guess I guess is just in the Marines. Who smashes when they go to rob oh, the, the armored car? <laughs> yeah. He like tries to run him off the road, yep. and then he's got like he's got like a machine gun in his car. And it, I don't I, I in my as I was watching it, I I thought I remembered that guy being like a marshal or something, but it, he seems to just be uh, like really into the Marines. Or yeah, something. I think he. I, I, don't I, know. I actually didn't think of him. I thought he was an off duty cop or something. Um, yeah, I thought it was something like that, but they never talk about no, it. No, no, it's, just, it's it. just it's just thrown in. They as they're robbing the one of the banks or whatever they're robbing the, uh, the there's like a good Samaritan who is also lethally armed uh, is, is sort of ready to stop them from doing what they're doing. But yeah, he didn't. He doesn't really. He's just kind of there. It's just it's a you know, it's it's the follows the plot of the movie. It's just like here's the scene we need to have. Let's add a little bit of conflict on top of it because they can't just get away. And this is the most um, obvious way that we can get into doing that. Yeah. And, you know, I have a question for you. Do you feel like it's a misstep to make John Hamm the ultimate bad guy in it as opposed to Jamie Foxx? Yes, just because I like John Hamm and I never got the sense through the entire movie that that character was that kind of character. I thought he was the... Yeah. If anything, I thought he was going to be the good guy um, co-worker of the main character who gets killed by the real bad guy. Yeah. And it didn't work out that way. And I, I... I didn't feel that that turn was really authentic for the John Hamm. His name is Buddy uh, in the movie. I didn't think that was right. a Buddy turn to me. It felt like a Bats thing that should have been carried through all the way to the end. Yeah, it, it's it's strange to me because it ends up that the the only reason that he keeps going after Baby is because his wife got killed, mm-hmm. which I guess they set up the fact that they're you know really into each other or whatever, but it seems a little... Uh, it seem it doesn't seem that that earned of a final showdown, yeah. really. Uh, whereas I think they, I think Bats is probably the best character in the movie. Um, well, the, the Bats because they, the weird thing about the Bats and the Buddy is when Bats sort of you he guesses apparently what John Hamm's prior history was, where he was on Wall Street. That was just a weird backstory yeah. for the the Buddy character to have. Like it was it, it was bizarre that. Bats guessed it correctly, and B, it was bizarre that that's where that character came from. It, I felt like he was having the worst midlife crisis of all time, right there. Right, <laughs> but yeah, they he, he they do a really good job of making Bats legitimately scary. Like he is very unpredictable. Um, they do they do a really good job of setting him up as being excessively violent, especially through Baby's eyes, where like that first scene where uh for some reason he pulls the car up at the at the, the the armored car heist he like pulls the car up and waits a couple seconds and then he backs the car up again yes. so they can come and get in the car i don't know if i was he like trying to decide whether or not to leave or something i don't know anyway i thought it was a tie uh, into the rewinding on an ipod stuff oh maybe yeah. uh but he backs up and then they get into the car and then he sees that you know there's the the armored car guard is dead so clearly bats killed the guy and then from that, and then there's later the scene where they go to the 7-Eleven and they imply that he killed the guy working at the 7-Eleven. And they just, they do a really good job of making him creepy and, and dangerous. They get, when they go to the the diner, he, everybody is kind of being held hostage by him, even though he's not explicitly doing that. Right. It's clear that he's in control in that situation. Yeah. Um, and so to have him... I guess it's a, I can't decide if it's a clever inversion or if they missed an opportunity or if, I, I don't know, I, because, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't clamoring for more bats, but I, I feel that the, the ham turn just wasn't as satisfying as keeping bats around that entire time. Because as you say, he's the bad ham guy turn. who controls the situation. Right. And I, I did like. And Spacey's a the one The one thing I did. What's Spacey's that? kind of a non-factor. Spacey is sort of well, written up as the big bad, but he's not really. Right. I was going to say, I did kind of like that, where at the end, where he confronts him at the end, when he sees the girl, he's like, ah, damn it. I'm actually kind of a nice guy, I guess. <laughs> right. And like, yeah. you know, and, and, and 
I, I, I like that stuff. I think, I think the people around them did more for the relationship story than they did themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the way that Spacey reacts to them really, you know, puts over that relationship. The way John Hamm interacts with them really puts that relationship over. Um, yeah, so I think that most of that work was done by the support, supporting characters as opposed to the the main two. I mean, obviously, I mean this movie isn't about a relationship, so you got to kind of you got to make room for the car chases. Uh, but I don't know. I think there. I think that's definitely the weakest point of the movie is that relationship. So, last question for you: Is there a better name than Miles for Baby? Uh, Ford. <laughs> All I could think about, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know Sonic the Hedgehog? Um, yep. Tails, the little fox, his buddy, his name is Miles Prower because it's Miles Per Hour. Oh, yeah, so. oh Miles Prower. I, get <laughs> so that, I assume that's what Miles' full name is, too. He is Tails the Fox from Sonic the Hedgehog, Miles Prower. <laughs> um, that's about. I the, think they missed, they missed an opportunity to have him drinking a V8, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you what is that what is vh's catchphrase do you want to start the day off crooked or some some shit like that uh do you want to start the day off drinking a really fucking gross drink that's what their tagline should be <laughs> if you want some salted ketchup that you can drink here you go um that's the one like adult beverage that i have not crossed the line into like my when i was younger my dad used to drink v8 all the time and i every time i tried it it was the most disgusting thing ever and i you know you feel that way about beer you feel that way about coffee Eventually, you end up liking coffee, and you you know you end up liking beer. V eight still will not touch V eight. It's disgusting. It's one of the sunny uh, V eight is kind of like V eight's a little bit like Sunny D to me in that it's not really orange juice Sunny D. You know, it's like it's more like a uh, soft drink than anything. And V eight is right. V eight is so salted that I think it's actually bad for you as opposed to being a good healthy breakfast drink that you should have. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's one of those things where they talk about all of the great things in it, but they've just, they've just doused it in so much bad stuff that it's not worth, not worth spending your time. Right. A heavily salted apple or something like that. Anyway, do we have anything (laughs) else that we want to talk about? I think we did a pretty good job on this one and I am, I'm not super negative about the movie. I think it's fine. Oh, I did want to mention one thing that I really did Mm -hmm. like, uh, after the fucked up post office robbery, I thought the cop presence was awesome. I really liked that they did a really good job of making it feel like there were cops literally everywhere and that they were not going to stop coming after. Yeah, very GTA. Um, Yeah, no, the whole movie feels, that's why I said at the beginning, the whole movie just feels like Grand Theft Auto Mm -hmm. from the, uh, (coughs) excuse me. I mean, the characters, the storyline, the music, the car stealing, the the cops showing up at the end. I I, I thought it- Yeah, I they on uh, I think not to go on a, a total different tangent, but I think one of the reasons that video game movies never work is because they're never uh, presenting you with what you know in a new style. It's always just we're going to try and make the video game the movie into a movie as faithfully as possible, yeah. and I don't think that's necessarily the way to go. Yep. Uh, although you could look to the, my, the Super Mario Brothers movie and prove me wrong there, but <laughs> like I think I, I think uh, I think you need to take the source material and present it in a way that is not something that you can get from the video game. Right. And I think this, if they had, if gone to Edgar Wright and said, "We'll give you fifteen million dollars if you just call this movie Grand Theft Auto," and he did it, I think it would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not to go on a too much of a rant about that, but I can't for the life of me figure out why they have not made a Legend of Zelda movie yet. That seems to be the one property that Nintendo has where I feel like it's a slam dunk. I think it's coming to Netflix. The guy who did Castlevania, I think, has been hired to do a Netflix series for Zelda. Is it going to be a cartoon? I don't know. I would assume so. I don't know, though. I don't want. I don't care. I don't care about a cartoon. <laughs> I'm talking like a live action <laughs> the movie. The Castlevania one was a cartoon, so I would assume this one would be similar. Yes, yeah. yeah. Castlevania too. I don't know why they've never made a movie out of that. It seems like it's easy to it, like it's, it's. I feel like the imagery is all there, and I don't yeah. know. Like if you if you made a Legend of Zelda movie that was done by like Weta or something, like they really just built that world and told a really good simple story. I think that would have been that would be great. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would agree with you. I mean, the, the setups is all there. You'd have to um, 
you have to fill in the spaces where you're actually playing the game with something else. And uh, I guess suppose that's the hard parts of doing it. But it is kind of a generic, not generic, but it is just sort of built into that broad fantasy world where you can stretch it yeah. out into anything. I also think the other problem with video games is that the main draw of a video game is that you yourself are playing or doing the action. Yeah. And so if you're going to see a movie about a video game, it's like a big budget version of just watching somebody else play a video yes. game. Yes. Yeah. Which is, I mean, apparently is very popular now with, with kids. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but it's like you don't, the the point of video games is that you are you are inserting yourself into that event in that action whereas a movie you are very much an observer of that action so i think that's where the biggest disconnect comes for those yeah and they're also sort of good at uh, different like the the main problem i think in stories for video games is the pacing control because the character because the player controls the pacing of a game it causes narrative dysfunction to happen like yeah and GTA is always a good example. It's like there's always a final mission where your hero is like, all right, I've tracked down this last guy. Once I kill this last guy, everything's going to be fixed and I'm going to be on my way to redemption. But first, I'm going to jump this bike off of the Mount uh, Chiliad or whatever. You know, it's like <laughs> there's always this weird thing that you can sort of interrupt the plot and do whatever you want to do. And it that really causes the pacing of the story to suffer. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost done with this game. Let me spend three days taking girls out to right, dinner. Right, exactly. Yeah, I've, I've almost I've almost hit my peak of redemption, but let me just do something else in the meantime. Anyway, uh, we've been talking for an hour. So final thoughts, Clay, about this one? I kind of, I think it's a fine movie. There's nothing really wrong with it. Uh, I can understand it being well-received by critics. I also understand its audience score being a little bit lower than the critic score on Rotten Tomato. There's nothing really wrong with it. I like the concept. I just don't know... You know, I wonder how even if you made this an hour and 20, hour and 30, if I'd have liked it even more than it was. It's not even that it felt long, but it was an hour and 50 minutes. And I know all movies are kind of trending in that way, but like maybe a little bit more punch to this one would have done something for me. Like focus on the gimmick, focus on that music, uh, music video aspect of it. And maybe it would have been a little bit stronger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like it more than I, I did the first time, but you know, I'm th- as I'm thinking about it now, if I were to go back to it again, it would probably be something where, like, any scene with Baby, I would probably go do something else. Mm-hmm. Like, I-, I think that's the biggest the the biggest takeaway for me as I'm reflecting on it right now is like I would watch the other the scenes with everybody else in this movie again, and I would watch the action scenes again. But yeah, that main character is just just a vacuum. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think it's. I'm still su- I'm surprised it's his highest rated movie. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's because it's not explicitly a comedy, so it's it's well received. Oh, has a yeah, because the 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 Simon Pegg movies are pretty niche uh, when you really think about what they are, um, and this one is much more of a mainstream movie. And I mean, Scott Pilgrim is about as niche as you're gonna get. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so as his first really mainstream, mainstream movie, yeah, I think it's fine. I think he does some really cool stuff. Um, and again, I think if this movie came out 20 years ago, it would be like revelatory. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, right now it just feels like just feels like someone having fun. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not uh, – doesn't blow me away. That's about it. Thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Real Ripe and Real Rotten. We're going to be back with um, Scott Pilgrim is his lowest rated. So we'll be doing that one next. And then we'll have to pick a B-roll. But as usual, mm-hmm. you guys can go to all the social media links. They'll be in the video description. Go to patreon.com slash file if you want to support the show. And otherwise, Clay, we're going to be back with Scott Pilgrim, which I think I'm looking forward to less than Baby Driver because I had never seen Baby Driver. But I know that I've seen Scott Pilgrim. So that's the that's the emotional mood that we're going into as we watch this. Yeah, I'm, I also I also did not like Scott Pilgrim at all when I saw it. So this will be an interesting yeah, conversation. I, this is a big disconnect between us and the listenership because I would never have voted for Edgar Wright. I guess um, right. It's just yeah. it's interesting that he he sort of blew away the competition too. So I don't know what that is. But you guys let us know why you uh, why you voted for Edgar Wright if you did on patreon.com slash the Penske file. Otherwise, we'll be back in a couple weeks with uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Clay, thanks for joining me to discuss this one. Yeah, thanks for having me. For the B-roll, maybe we should just do like the first season of Spaced. Yes. that's. <laughs> I think I've only seen a couple of the episodes of the first season too, but um, that would be that would be an option. I'm trying to think of anything else there. I, I mean, what's your leading contender for B-roll right now? Ooh, you know, 
I so B roll. I I usually like to have it be something that is generally less well received, but is in actuality just as good as some of the higher, more well received yep. ones. So honestly, I'm kind of leaning towards uh, end of the world or world's end. Okay. Because I know a lot of people think that movie's not good, and I think it's just as good as the other ones yeah. for the most part. Yep. So that might be that might be one worth because I mean you know Shaun of the Dead obviously is great, Hot Fuzz is great. I'm I think I might be more interested in talking about World's End just because it seems like there's more of a conversation there, given that it's a little bit less uh, well received. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to I'll have to check out the list. I was I was. <clears throat> Really, I had no sort of uh, choice in the in the uh, decision there. I was looking at the list. I was like, I don't really know about it. I don't really, you know, none of these are really tickling my fancy. They're all kind of, they all feel very similar to me. They Edgar Wright um, reminds me of Wes Anderson, not in any sort of style way, but the way I feel about his movies. Um, yeah, you kind of know what you're going to yeah, get. Yeah, you know what you're going to get. And I know I'm not going to be disappointed, but I'm not going to be like, right. wow, that was a revelation that I really enjoyed that movie. Um that's about it. Anyway, guys, we've talked for an yeah, hour. Wes Anderson, sorry, Wes, Wes Anderson for me is like, he's one of those filmmakers where I kind of dread going to see mm-hmm. them because it's like, ugh, I know what this is going to be. And then I go to see it and then I go, that was actually really good. Like, I'm, he's better in, he's better in real life than he is in my head for some yeah. reason. And I know he's that good. But for some reason, I'm always like, ugh, I don't know if I want to sit through this. But then I'm happy. I think, yep. So. And we'll be back. We'll be back. And we'll have Wes Anderson, obviously, up next after Edgar Wright. We're going to be back with um, Scott Pilgrim <laughs> versus the World. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, We will see you next time.